0: What should you do when your partner feels more like a roommate than a lover? How can you tell if you're sabotaging relationships before they even start? And what if you find out your partner has a secret in their sex life? We're going to explore these topics and more with a wonderful expert, Lori Gerber, an esteemed New York City-based marriage and relationship coach who's been coaching individuals and groups for over 15 years. She has shared her messages of empowerment at TEDx, on MTV, The Dr. Phil Show, The Today Show, and more, and hosts monthly dating and relationship webinars for Match and J-Date. We're so fortunate to have her here with us today. Before we dive in, a reminder to sign up for occasional Girl Boner extras by email at girlboner.org or click the link down in the show notes. You'll hear from me about once a month with special freebies and discounts, news about upcoming events, and more. And for more Girl Boner fun, follow Girl Boner Media on Instagram. Thank you so much for being here, Lori. Thank you for having me. I'm curious about your personal journey. What do you recall learning about sex and sexuality when you were
1: growing up? I think like many people, my early sex education was very subliminal, vague, impressionistic, if you will. (laughs) So I remember thinking my parents, you know, would encourage me to think freely you know they wouldn't have ever said masturbation is bad but I remember getting caught and being embarrassed and I remember I also remember showing off like show and tell of my own private parts to my brother's friends to get their attention. How did that go over? That went great that strategy continues to work to this day um, to get attention (laughs) but interesting right just at, at such a young age I understood that this this body could get me things that I wanted, for better or worse. Unfortunately, years afterwards, I felt a lot of shame about that. But at the time, I I, I thought it was a very clever uh, strategy. At what
0: point did you experience that shift when you realized that you had shame? I feel like it can be so insidious when we grow up with that subliminal shame. Such a great way to um, describe it. Because It's so embedded that we don't even know it's there, usually until there's like an epiphany.
1: Yeah. And I can tell you, like many people, there are probably at least a good 10, what we call in the Handel Method, we call them hauntings, right? 10 of those moments where certain decisions were made. I can remember it being, you know, I think 12 or 13 and trying my first blow job, which I had no idea what I was doing. It was I mean, looking back on it now, I just want to cry and laugh for those poor children in that sleeping bag that were experimenting and did not know anything and certainly didn't know how to talk to each other. And then I can recount probably several, you know, every few years, another incident or haunting where I made decisions about sex and about myself and about love and all of those things that I didn't ever relook at until I met my coach. And, and and did one of these modules in our in our Inner You Love program where you have to go back and actually look at all those shaping moments one by one. And what did you learn? What did you think it meant? And actually go unravel them. Those
0: questions are so important to ask ourselves, aren't they? About sex, about relationships, about these really important intimate topics that we don't learn much about. Is there an experience that you could share about um The the positive shift that happened from that self-awareness.
1: Well, I think taking the taboo away alone is hugely freeing. Just even talking to another human being, which is obviously part of your mission, just even talking to another human being about masturbation or early sexual experiences or what you like or don't like is incredibly freeing. So I had... I would say I felt 10 times better just enlisting those hauntings and talking to somebody about them. And then in many cases, I went back to the people who were involved and I found out what really happened or what their perspective on what happened was. There were some things I was incredibly embarrassed about that I went back and talked to my mother about in my 30s when I was in coaching and she told me all her stories. And guess what? Not that dissimilar to my stories. And that That moment of relating and of understanding where this all even comes from, which is, you know, lineage in a lot of in a lot of cases and just the universality of being a human being was incredibly relieving. And there was at one point I remember her saying, I mean, I was literally listing like, Mom, this happened to me and that went wrong. And and she said, well, what, what? What were you expecting? Why did you think that was so bad? And things that had haunted me and made me ashamed, experiments I had done with friends and family, all of a sudden became totally okay and normal even. And that changed my entire life. Mm. It changes how you walk around in the world, doesn't
0: it? Completely. Yeah. What inspired you to pursue the work you do in people's romantic lives?
1: Well, I had my own near-divorce experience, I call it. You know, NDEs, near-divorce experiences. It's very popular. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, I came to coaching to work on my career, just to be clear. But as soon as – one of the first things we do in the Handel Method is we have you look at what you dream about in all the areas of your life. So as I was telling the story about my marriage – the coach could already see, Lori, you this is not good. Like actually if you're not having sex with your husband, that's called a roommate. That's not a marriage. That's not what you meant, right? (laughs) I was like, uh right. (laughs) You know? So that was a huge wake up. And that set in motion about a six month process of completely reinvent first saving my marriage, because it was gonna go bad and then reinventing my marriage and my sex life and that was about 15 years ago and then it just keeps getting better mm-hmm. because I keep employing that but in that particular moment where we were near through and we turned it all around like a a 180 that's what had me go, oh my gosh I have to share this because this is not that complicated but it changes everything so yeah. I need to I need to I was already thinking of being a coach, but I then I realized this is a specialty because it's so so um I feel it so viscerally for myself. I yeah, and you wanted others. to
0: share it with yeah. everyone. When, yeah. when you actually experience that, I love what you said about recreating your relationship. It ties so well into this listener question, just by chance, that we received from Jared, who wrote this. Hi, my partner, a man, and I have reached a difficult point in our relationship. We met over 12 years ago, fell in love, and got married. That was eight years ago and recently have been pushing each other's buttons, not in a good way. We argue over small things and feel more like roommates than lovers. One of our friends suggested opening the marriage, but that doesn't feel right to either of us. We love each other deeply and do agree that something needs to change. We do not have access to therapy at the moment. Any suggestions would be most welcome. Jared, thank you so much for trusting us with this question. I think it's beautiful that you and your your partner, your husband, want to to work on this. I think that alone is, is really huge. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say.
2: Jared, thanks so much for this question. And I truly love this question because, you know, I know I say this, but it's so true. You are not alone. Um, in fact, this is very much the nature of relationship, you know, where we get to sort of pushing each other's buttons and feel more roommates than lovers. I mean, these are common complaints I see all the time from couples that I work with in my office. And I think it's so important that you also have been able to check in with yourselves because even though friends are trying to be helpful and making suggestions about, say, opening your marriage, that it just doesn't feel right to you both, right? I, I'm a firm believer we are all our own experts and to really, truly listen to sort of that inner guidance. Um, but I'm also hearing that you love each other and you know that something needs to change. So fantastic. It sounds like you both, in a sense, are on the same page. It's something I often work with couples around, which is, you know, the relationship that you're in, um, in a sense, isn't working. That, that in a sense, relationship needs to die. You need to create the new 2.0, the new and improved, the software upgrade of your relationship. And you both need to get really clear about the relationship that you desire. And probably as it started in the beginning, in the romantic phase, you know, how does that look and feel? In order to know what you're working toward, you have to have a clear vision of what you both want to be experiencing in your marriage and in your relationship. So, you know, coming back to the fact that this is really about skills um, and, you know, we weren't taught them. And the, you know, we were drawn together for a reason. We don't have chemistry with everybody, but we also know that that uh, romantic phase with sort of the dopamine and the oxytocin and all the feel-good chemicals in our body, that is meant to end. And that is where what I call the rubber meets the road. And that conflict is really growth trying to happen um, because, yes, we absolutely push each other's buttons, but those growth opportunities are able to heal ultimately what's underneath those triggers. Usually those buttons were installed in childhood. Sometimes they were installed by by previous partners, or perhaps, again, if you've been in a relationship long enough with one another, but the reality is it's always what's underneath that pain, um, what is getting activated, what is getting kicked up, and that when we feel our buttons or triggers are getting activated, guess what we act protectively and defensively because we're trying to take care of ourselves you know we're wired for survival and so the when however we come from that protective defensive parts of ourselves, I call that the ugly parts of ourselves not the best parts of ourselves that ultimately drew you together in the first place. So John Gottman, the well-known marital uh, researcher, he calls this negative sentiment override that is where a pattern of behaviors where you're just consistently bringing out the worst in one another. And so no wonder there's no erotic energy. No wonder you're feeling like roommates. And he has a great video called making marriage work that I'm going to share with August to put in the show notes. It's, definitely worth watching for anybody listening and who's in relationship um, because he really talks about that, again, the relationship skills and practices do make the difference. And he describes what he calls the masters versus disasters in relationships and the differences in the way that those look. And I always say, I know you've heard me say it before, you know, often when we're stuck in a relationship or we're feeling sort of those pain points, we start to think, you know, maybe the relationship needs to end or maybe I chose the wrong partner Um, and I often say it's not about choosing the right partner as much in some ways it's about being the right partner but it's also to appreciate we have these fantasies that the grass is greener on the other side and I always say it's where you water it so the skills you know about watering the grass some of them are just practices and behaviors like sharing appreciation you know I really appreciate when you bring me that cup of coffee or you know I'm running late from work and you're willing to pick up dinner or make dinner. Um, So appreciations, caring behaviors, surprises, um, and flirting, you know, really creating the conditions where sexual energy is in that which brought you together in the first place when you're coming from best of self, right? Once again, that really can emerge. And so I also want to leave you some other resources um, because, you know, a relationship is work. And I always say that Work isn't a dirty word, in a sense, any more than sex is. We, you know, we have a lot of negative connotations to work, as some people, not anybody listening here on Garbona, but some people have negative connotations around sex. And the reality is the things that we work on and put effort into are actually the things we can count on and have sustainability. So really take the time and the energy. You, you listen, when and if the self-help books aren't helpful and I'm going to let you know those resources. Yes, absolutely seek a marital counselor or qualified marital counselor or therapist because in a sense it's not meant for you to do the work alone when and if you guys are feeling continue to feel stuck, but I also think that again if you're really both committed and take the time and the energy take one book chapter at a time really create these skills because they really are what is going to make you both the masters of your relationship so the first book i'd recommend is harville hendrix getting the love you want um, i think this is a fantastic book it's the foundation of imago which is a kind of couples therapy and it really talks about the nature of relationship and those dynamics Another one is Sue Johnson, Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And the third is John Gottman's latest, Eight Dates to Keep Your Relationship Happy, Thriving, and Lasting. So hope you really take advantage of those resources, knowing that these are skills and tools. And Jared, as always, would love to hear how it goes.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. She brought up such wonderful points. I love that she said the 2.0 of your relationship, which sounds like what you cultivated in your own experience. And I imagine you've helped many people since then do the same. Indeed. So did you relate to what Jared said, first of all? Did it sound a lot like what you were going through?
1: Yeah, except I wasn't even complaining about it. (laughs) It, it, it um, It took seeing my husband start to flirt with my assistant to wake me up and go, Oh, I could lose this. I could actually lose this. Mm. And and like this wonderful doctor just said y- the grass is not greener. <laughs> and, and and I was very much aware even though I was tanking this and complaining about my husband being disconnected and complaining about you know how hard it is to raise young children and all this. I still was not going to prefer being divorced, okay? <laughs> so that is what woke me up to to deal with it
0: sure and it's interesting she mentioned gratitude being very helpful and what you were describing sounds like something we can all fall into where we we do we take for granted this person is there. This is life.
1: We have so much going on and they're always going to be there. And then, oh, I could I could lose and, it. And I looked around and I thought, this is normal. We have two little kids at home. It's normal to be disconnected from my body after giving birth. Meanwhile, I was eating sugar all the time. Sugar, I, I joke, sugar was my true love. I was disconnected from my husband as a love object or a sex object or a partner other than in co-parenting and running the household. So... You know, I didn't even, I didn't even notice what I was missing. Mm.
0: And did your husband express any frustrations? Were these conversations you were having prior to your That's own? the other
1: thing is there was, there's almost, it seemed like there was a tacit agreement. We're just going to let this suck. And I think, I think a lot of times good guys, you know, if they're being rejected sexually, enough times they're not going to keep trying they're going to figure out how to get those needs met some other way or not get them met and just you know put, try to put them to bed which is really sad and that's so I'm so grateful because I, I, I think my husband's a good enough man that he really would have tolerated it for a bit longer a nice enough person uh, but it was wrong you know, and I, I so I always look back and, pe- you know, people say, you know, am I upset that he started to flirt with my assistant? A- absolutely not. It makes perfect sense. I'm proud of him for not actually cheating and for, you know, be, uh, being willing to go through changing with me. But I totally understand why he would have needed validation, attention, affection. We all need that, right? Of course. Yeah. I was getting it from the kids and the sugar. So what was he supposed to do? Yeah, we all look for it somewhere. and
0: recognizing that there is a deeper issue going on is is so big and so crucial what were some of the steps that helped most climb out of that because the
1: realization must have felt pretty extreme yeah there were two major major things and this is this is what I again I loved about this method when I first started working with my coach she said do you know you can change everything about your life with three promises three promises could change everything and 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 they did, right? Just three simple shifts of behavior based on shifts of thinking, of course, changed everything. So the first thing we looked at is why don't you have that ideal? Right? Just just as, as um the doctor the ideal was saying. Relationship? That, why don't you have that ideal? Why don't you have connection and intimacy okay. and sex? Right. And my answer was, Well, he doesn't he doesn't show up. He doesn't talk to me. He doesn't share himself. And my coach called BS on that immediately. She said that can't be the reason. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, go find out the real reason. I sat down with my husband. I told him my dream. I had articulated this beautiful dream, which is module one, in in our in our method. And I said, "Why do you think we don't have this?" And he was brave enough, after three very nice requests on my part, to tell me, "I have never gotten through a complete thought with you, Lori. After three sentences, you interrupt me, and I know that works with your girlfriends, and you don't do it on purpose, but I." cannot get my train of thought back when you do that and I stopped trying to talk to you years ago how did that feel simultaneously mortifying and a complete relief Mm. because I can change that and you recognized it once you pointed it out I wanted to defend myself I'll be honest I did and then my whole life flashed before my face all the people I had been selfish with not listened to people who had felt dominated by me it the story started to make sense as to how I could keep people around wanting my approval and wanting my attention but never validate them fully, it made sense. It was a pattern. And I knew I was going to have to report back to my coach. So I decided to lay down my defense and say, you are so right. I said, love, honor, and cherish in front of all these people. And not listening to your entire story is not that. And I am so sorry. Mm. And then in that moment, I promised him no more interrupting, which was a big check to write. <laughs> big, because I was not trained in that. <laughs> not my culture. <laughs> so I, I made that promise, and that became the one of the few promises that I made that changed everything forever. And I still have that promise, and it's not an intention. It's not a good idea, unlike other self-help I had done before. It is a promise. And at the time, I made the promise that if I broke that promise – I, he would get a minute of a blowjob for every time I interrupted him. He could rack it up for as long as he wanted and he could cash it in whenever he wanted. I was going to put my mouth to good use. Finally. <laughs> and saddest part about that, he said, I'd rather you listen to me.
0: You know, I think that's a really interesting and and meaningful example because when We think of our ideas of gender, right? And we think about a man in a heterosexual relationship. And if you go to them and you say, hey, what's the problem? The presumption is, oh, I'm not getting enough. We're not having sex enough. You know, we need to be more sexual. And he got right to like an underlying, you know, there's there's this underlying piece because for all of us, sex is not just, you know, a swing. <laughs> like we have other things going on and all these emotional layers. And it's it's cool that he, he already had an
1: answer. He'd done yeah. some introspection. It, it, he's a very special person. <laughs> he's, he's wonderful. <laughs> what were yeah. the other promises? So the second thing, so we couldn't ignore the fact, though, that I stopped having sex with him. Right? He didn't stop having sex with me. I stopped having sex with him. And, of course, I had lots of reasons the kids, the exhaustion. I mean, little did I know it was the food I was eating that was making me exhausted, not the children, right? Like I had it so backward. So one of my promises was quitting sugar. And as soon as I quit sugar, all my feelings arose, right? And all my needs and desires arose and all all, all the vulnerability and feelings that would lead a person to want a hug or a touch or sex arose in the absence of that, What's the word? Anesthetizing or um, mollifying effect of sugar and food. So that was huge. And then all of that coupled with number three, have sex regularly. <laughs> and, to, <laughs> and to have sex regularly. So one one thing I was thinking about Jared's question is the way we think usually is that if you're in the mood, you have sex. If you're getting along, you have sex. What I teach my clients is, if you have sex, you'll be getting along. <laughs> it's, a, it's the opposite. Imagine that. Imagine if you do the thing consistent with your ideal, you get the feeling rather than waiting for the feeling, which is a bit like the weather, to do the right thing, quote unquote, the right thing for your marriage. So I couldn't, I couldn't any longer peddle the notion that it that sex was being done to me, or something I had to give. It is a beautiful act of intimacy, connection, vulnerability that I choose to do with this one other person in my case. And I was withholding it on purpose to get the cake instead Mm. and to get to my TV show and to punish him for whatever I thought he did wrong. And that just was not consistent with the vow I made in front of everybody. So simply, I started out with once a week. And my little joke, too, to my clients is light a candle. It's not that complicated. And I thought my coach was joking when she said light a candle. But (laughs) she wasn't joking. Like literally light a candle. Having a ritual. And if you, Jared, if you light a candle, that means you're having sex. If he lights a candle, that means you're having sex. Just make that promise to each other. Did you schedule it or was it
0: more of a we can both choose whenever we want to light a candle?
1: Ostensibly it is not scheduled, however there are certain patterns that we have found work for our schedule. (laughs) So there's certain expectations. But there's also, again, I have this promise to this day still because I would still prefer to watch Netflix than be vulnerable and have to pay attention to pleasure, right? I still want to avoid that. So I still to this day have a sex promise. It's more than it used to be. So the scheduling, so we we communicate about it. So we know we're having sex twice a week. We're both strategizing. You know, like, how do we do this? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I came home from, from Israel last week at five in the morning. He's like, come see me at seven. Right? You know? Like, so we're always strategizing. My candle will be lit. My, you know, my mother-in-law <laughs> is sleeping in this bedroom. My other kid is sleeping in that, yeah. you know. So we strategize how to get it done now because we both know that it's what maintains our, our good life. And generally, Sunday nights is a good night. But if something comes up, I know to say, hey, just so you know, I don't think tonight's a good night. Can I can I reschedule? So we're in open communication about just so huge making it happen. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. May I ask you about your masturbatory practices? Sure. So you mentioned having a disconnection from pleasure for yourself. So when your marriage was essentially sexless, were you also disconnected? Were you
1: having any sort of solo uh, play? I doubt it. I don't remember, but I doubt I was really having my duo with sugar. <laughs> That was really providing me a lot of pleasure. I mean, maybe. I certainly wouldn't have been against the idea. Uh, But I'm more a workaholic, and I love to work. And then I had work and kids and TV and chocolate, and that was plenty to keep me busy. At this point in my life, I am very pro-masturbation for myself and others, and I – and I even have had it for myself as a consequence. You know how I had had those, you know, the blowjob as a consequence. Or if I don't have sex twice a week, the next week I have more adventurous sex. So I like to put my put a little consequence in. And for me, sometimes having an orgasm could be a good consequence because again, I'm lazy about it. I avoid it. I, I prefer the high of working, but I know it's so good for me. I just mm. know it's so good for me. So so if I find myself running on adrenaline and being a nutball. Mm-hmm. In the past, I have had the consequence that I have to have an orgasm that same day, which means I have to either commission my husband or do it myself. And that just resets the vibe. Yeah, mm. that's fascinating
0: because it's a reward and a punishment it, at the same time for, for you. me, it wouldn't work for as you. a
1: consequence for everyone. The trick yeah. about consequences, and this is a special, special sauce of the Handel Method. It's one of the modules. If you can come up with annoying consequences that are not punitive, you can get yourself to do almost anything. And for me, causing myself an orgasm is the perfect annoying but not punitive consequence because it means I have to take a break. I have to change my focus. I have to pay attention to myself. But in the end, I'm really glad I did that. And it to me, it's also the perfect consequence for a behavior that is unhealthy, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally, like being a workaholic or running on adrenaline, that type of thing. So, yeah, completely, did it.
0: completely. And I appreciate that you said different things work for different people. So knowing yourself, exploring these things. When you mentioned uh, sugar, um, I know that a lot of people, uh, I had an eating disorder previously and... A lot of my writing work started by talking about those experiences. Embracing my sexuality helped me heal from that. So I have a lot of listeners who struggle with disordered eating, and for some of them, giving up sugar is very triggering or you know unhealthy. And so I just want to state that for anyone listening. Oh, I've that brought it back. If that you. makes you
1: feel better, it does actually. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it was. I had to see what my life was without the addiction, mm. right? I really, really had to see. And by the way, I was still eating. A piece of sprouted whole grain bread with almond butter and jam. So it wasn't like – or a protein bar. I wasn't having no sugar in my life. I was just not eating cake, cookies, and candy at every meal as I had done before. Got
0: it. And this time
1: away helped you It got my relationship back, right? It got my relationship back. It got my self-respect back. It got exercise back into my life. It got all of these things that create those happy hormones – And all that stability that you want, that then I could bring back in sugar and have a functional relationship with it, not a dysfunctional relationship with it. Thanks for circling back to that.
0: And I love that you were able to do that. I think that's really, really beautiful and inspiring to to hear about. We have another question that I'd love to hear your thoughts on because this really made me think. It's from Izzy, who wrote this. How do you know if you're sabotaging potential relationships? I've been single for a couple of years now after a major difficult breakup and have been using Tinder to meet guys. I keep feeling so disappointed on the first date, even though they've all seemed like cool people. Is that my gut being right or me being too picky or maybe scared? Just wondering how to sort this all out. When I first read this, one thing that struck me was that it sounded like there was a lot of emphasis on this first date. And and I'm curious what, what you thought about her circumstances, all these wonderful I have questions. Hours of
1: answer <laughs> to that. that is, and yeah. it's such a good question. It's such a popular question. I get it all the time on the webinars and on um and with the individuals. So and it's beautifully put, Izzy, because you're kind of speaking to all the layers. So one of the modules in Inner You Love has you deal with your history literally everything, not only your history, your parents' history too, because let's face it, you're acting all of it out. So you might be scared and you might be scared based on things that you know about or don't even know about, about yourself and other people in your family. And so you're right to suggest that I could give you tips on how to get a better first date or tips on how to vet people better. I have loads of those. But if you are walking around resonating with the consciousness of this cannot work out. This does not work out. You are going to get that result. All your first dates are going to be duds. So my first suggestion is go do the work to really unpack why you might be scared and what that's all about and what the patterns are and how do you stop doing those patterns. My second suggestion is a more practical one. And again, entire module and interview about the three H's. Have you heard of the three H's? Please tell me. Are you familiar with I'm these not familiar. H's? Okay. So we say in every in any good relationship, or even any well, you'll see it applies to other things, but in any good relationship, your head, your heart, and your hoo-ha all have to be satisfied. <laughs> That's the three H's. Head, heart, hoo-ha. Got it. Head, heart heat, however you want to put it. So And that makes sense, right? It has to practically work for your life. They have to want the same thing, be in your neighborhood. Your heart has to feel connected and trusting, and your hoo-ha needs to be turned on. And most of us sell out on one or two of those and don't believe we can have all three. So again, a whole module is just articulating, what are your three H's? What is that dream? What is it that you're looking for? So you can see if someone fits or doesn't fit from the very beginning of looking at a profile to when you talk to them. Now. We have a magic trick that everyone hates, but anyone who does it swears by it. To never have a dud date again, all you have to do is have a video date before you meet the person in real life. A five-minute, two-minute video date. Hey, I just want to see if we have chemistry. Do you mind if we FaceTime or Google Hangout or whatever it is, Skype before we meet in person. You mm. seem great. I love yes. what I'm seeing. I just want to see if there's chemistry. That is an honest, straightforward, simple request that if someone is not interested, they will decline and you will avoid ever having a dead date. And Or if they're lying, obviously. And But if they're interested in you and they like you and they're going to take the trouble to go out with you, spend time and money, they'll have a video date with you. Yeah, it might even minutes. take
0: some of the, the pressure off because it sounds like, I think it can become a pattern where you're, you're assuming on some level this is going to be a dud, right? This first For date sure. has to be first impression. And I think we hear about the first impression being everything sometimes. People are nervous on first dates. You might not get to know a person, you know, really well. Or I think if we have really high expectations where we think – I'm going to know if this person is the one. I used to fall into that where I thought I would meet the one, you know, which I. The only one. The right? only one in the entire universe. <laughs> that I universe. found in the haystack. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be magical and yeah. fairies and stars. Yeah. and Isn't Disney lovely how <laughs> Disney they did that great. to us? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think having an attitude of once you do decide you have the video date and then you do go out, have the intention of this is fun let's go and just get to know each other a little bit instead of should we get married
1: and and the beauty is if you think of it that way and we think every date on the way to your one or your ones whatever you're looking for is is a lesson it's a learning you're either going to learn something you're going to help someone you're going to do business with someone you're going to find the love of your life there's some something's if you do this properly there will be no wasted date so you might as well have fun and you might as well vet you might as well vet appropriately. Okay, but that doesn't that doesn't really answer the question am i being too picky. Right? So you still there really there really is such a thing as leagues. And this is a very taboo topic. Nobody likes to talk about leagues. It's like no la 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 doesn't exist. But there really is you know it's it's like a five star restaurant or a great diner, right? They're both great meals but they're in different leagues. They're just in different leagues. So you can be you can get the best meal of your life at a diner and be like, "Oh my god, it's my favorite diner. This is so good." Same thing with five-star restaurants. So human beings should not be so offended by the concept of leagues. I wish we would be more sober about it and just go, "Hmm, you know, so if you you might be fishing in the wrong league. You really might be. Mm. Or you might be misestimating your own league, and you think you should do better, and you think someone should compensate for your lack of success or health or money or whatever it is, and that's not going to work. You will keep being disappointed.
0: And do you think that leagues are not so much a ranking system, like there's the top league and there's a league above me and below me? Is it is the league more... The one that's most ideal for you and everyone has, because I think that's the problem that people have with leagues is, oh, it's like a class system.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. It doesn't really work that way. So you could be someone who lives with your mother and you think that drops you down a league, but it doesn't drop you down a league if you find someone who has four dogs, you know, and you know, so, or you, you find someone who's in a 12 step program and you're really religious or, so it's about the compatibility. It's not about a ranking better or worse. Yeah. It's not it's not better to have more money. It's not better to be thinner. It's it is better to love your life. It's I shouldn't say better. It's more attractive. It's more attractive to love your life. It's more attractive to be proud of yourself. So, it's not about getting a particular body or bank account, but it I would recommend and again, a whole module on this. I would recommend getting those areas of your life to what you consider to be an 8, 9, or 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 so that you exude confidence and sexiness. But that's your definition. We call it personal integrity because it's mm. your definition. It's not what I think you should look like and what you should earn.
0: Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that so much. The last question we're going to answer today ties a little bit into the hoo-ha compatibility, I think. We had a couple people ask about secrets in a partner's sex life. And this specific comment from T who said, I recently found out that my girlfriend is into BDSM and I am not so confused about how to deal with that. And this person went on to say that it felt like this whole other secret, you know, part of life that was kind of hidden. And uh, one thing that struck me was when we think about BDSM, I used to think BDSM meant whips and chains and Violence, like consensual violence, and that may be a part of it. But there are so many other representations of BDSM. So I wonder if T doesn't realize that there's also temperature play, candles. You know, there are just so a little many flicking, just a little flicking, just a little flick, just a, little flick, just a, little flick. Just a flick. soft little tap, <laughs> just a little spank, totally, just and having those conversations about what turns you right. on. And but I think
1: that one of the issues here is feeling something's hidden. Sure. Again, whole module on the art of honesty. We literally think. That your key to being intimate, having good sex, is telling the truth, period. That's what the whole TEDx talk is on, by the way. It's about truth-telling. The biggest turn-on is truth-telling. And that's the turn-on for your head, your heart, and your hoo-ha. So we help people tell more of the truth earlier on so this doesn't happen. However, if you have skipped it accidentally and you thought you'd be more attractive as the fake you instead of the real you, you can backtrack. And if it blows the relationship, good. That's appropriate. And if it doesn't blow the relationship, great. You just got so much closer.
0: Yes, because those vulnerable questions and discussions are what, just as you displayed in your own life, that is where we grow. That is where we find that intimacy and we get the butterflies and this little bit of sweat, and oh, this yeah. is scary. And yeah, it
1: can go in any direction. Five years ago to that point, I uh, handed over a list of all of my sexual fantasies to my husband just for kicks, right? Just because I teach people to tell the truth. And I thought, well, he doesn't know all of them, right? He doesn't know everything I ever think about. <laughs> I love that. And it was mortified. I mean, it was just, it was, it was like, being young all over again you know telling a secret finding a secret to tell was this impromptu
0: or did you put a lot of time into like I I,
1: I wouldn't say I put a lot of time into it because I wanted to get it over with but I (laughs) I, it took some thinking and writing and exploring and it was a great exercise for me and a great exercise for our relationship but the point being we're we are liars we are naturally born liars I think statistics show several times a day at least so there's always please don't try to find a partner that doesn't lie to you or that isn't hiding something there really are the chapters you show when you show them. but So the good news is I'm giving everyone permission to tell more of the truth sooner so that you find your people or your person sooner. But the other good news is you're going to keep finding stuff. So intimacy will keep staying interesting and juicy because you can keep finding corners you have not unlocked and opened to mm. your your chosen partner or partners.
0: That's such a great idea to have a list too. We talk about yes, no, maybe lists mm. uh, where, for example, you could use this in this scenario if they have the conversation and they decide to maybe tiptoe in. I don't think that both partners in a in a couple have to, have all the same fantasies, certainly. So, if one person's into not. BDSM, right? There's so <laughs> many other ways you can engage, like reading erotica. That's BDSM, or so it's, many things. It's worth a talk. It's, it's worth, a, worth talk. a talk. Probably it's a lot worth of talks.
1: A talk to see what it means. <laughs> yeah. And there are. This is again another key point that we make with our clients all the time. There are deal breakers. There are. I want to have kids. You don't want to have kids. I want to tie you up. You don't want to be tied up. So, th- there are many things we can compromise on. I'm pretty sure I could convince my husband to try anything if I really, really, really want it. But there are boundaries and there are things that are deal breakers. And if that turns out to be a deal breaker, it's okay. That's not your person. Yeah. It's really okay. And you had whatever you had. It was great. You learned. You grew. And then maybe that person will will discover. Maybe I tell that by the third date or the fifth date next time. I don't wait till the seven month. Sure. Because there really is the chance that it's a deal breaker. And that's the – like. STIs um, you know anything that's off the beaten track sexually those can be deal breakers for people Mm. those can be deal breakers for people so and you don't know unless you ask
0: yeah and I will say if someone is a bit ignorant about STIs they might think they can't have a great sex life with you and if that's that person they're not willing to learn that not it's more likely you'll get an STI in your life than not That's just a fact. Thank you.
1: Please keep talking about (laughs) it. It's so true. People don't understand. Yeah. And so, again, that's why I'm always really encouraging people to talk more sooner and educate the populace. But if the populace don't want to be educated, that's not your person. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I have a friend, uh, Ashley Manta, who's been on the show, and she's very open about having herpes. And she said it's been
1: kind of a great way to weed people out. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's one... I hope, I assume you talk about herpes all the time, but I have, I have a very funny game I like to play when I do small group courses is I go, by the end of this course, everyone who has herpes is going to admit it. OK, does anyone want to start now just getting it off their chest? And, you know, by the end, it's like half the group, you know, and then there's you and know, they, some people that sure. don't know they have it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but just the amount of shame people have about herpes is remarkable. Yeah. If I could just touch on that, like Which is really wild. robbing themselves of love for their entire lives over it, not understanding that it's rampant. And it's the same virus if you have a cold sore,
0: but we have them separated because if it affects your genitals, then it's scary. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry about that. It's...
0: Yeah, yeah. You're right, though, that the deal breakers and the those tough spots. I wonder in this case, too, when this person asked about the secret sex life, it may be that they're concerned that this person is engaging in BDSM with other people and they've been monogamous. Like, there are so many factors to consider so I think getting so honest with yourself because even asking the question it sounds like there's you know there, there weren't a lot of details you know I'm a stranger but this is an anonymous place I think that sometimes it's really hard to really own our feelings and and as you were saying you didn't know that you were not really happy and fulfilled in many ways you're like this is just the way it is until we exactly you know and we look and your first re- response to oh because he doesn't do blank, blank, blank. And, you know, in this case, right. too, it might be right. well, maybe the partner is feeling a little ignored or i mean who knows what it is who knows but but those conversations are are definitely really big i would love to hear more about the coaching program that you've
1: been mentioning and how people can get involved it's yeah it's it's been such a labor of love for us to put together everything we have learned from 20 years of coaching tens of thousands of people in love and we coach you know we teach our method at MIT and Stanford We teach it in companies. We teach it with individuals of all ages, shapes, sizes, all around the world. So we have culled so much good information about what people struggle with. And good news, it's always the same stuff. And the tools and exercises people need to get to what they want, that lasting love with one or more, because we're very open-minded about what you're doing. Uh, And and so we really have figured out the steps to take, and we have encapsulated it into Inner You Love, which is 12 audio coaching sessions with Lauren, who was my original coach. If you coach with her privately, you're going to spend almost $8,000 for that. But we have put it all in an audio version where you can do it at your own speed. We give you every exercise we give our private coaching clients to work through in writing. It's work. It's work. This is not just talking about your feelings. This is the work for your evolution. And then in order to really help customize it to you and make sure that you get everything you can out of that self-guided program, we also give you a private coaching session with a coach to customize it to you. We also give you ongoing Q&A calls where you can call into a coach twice a month forever. It's a lifetime subscription. We want to be there for you because you're going to keep coming back to this. And then we give you a six-week inner university boot camp class where you can go and be with an expert taking a group through, which is kind of fun because you can see other people if you're brave. Um, And you have the opportunity to be in community and to be with a coach who's actually giving you homework each week and giving you feedback on that homework each week. And that's also ongoing over the lifetime of your subscription to Inner You Love. So like I said, tens of thousands of dollars worth of value normal price is 650 bucks actually in real life you have a discount because of girl boner and you have a discount code girl boner radio 75 which is going to always give you 75 dollars off of that but if you're listening before march 15th Hurry over to the website because it's currently 150 bucks off because we're just having a spring sale. So if you're listening to it before March 15th, go get the better discount. If you're listening after March 15th, still go get your discount with that code. And join in the fun. Everything to do with sex, love, and dating that you could ever want to know is answered in there.
0: That's so generous. Thank you for the for the discount. And it just sounds like a very generous program, too, that you wanted to make it more accessible. Because exactly. as I very often hear from people, they, they can't afford or don't have the time to go to a weekly session somewhere. Exactly. or So to be able to engage and be part of a community, but also have that one-on-one support, that's beautiful. And I know you have a Facebook page, um, on Instagram, at Handle Group. I'll share links in the show notes and the, the follow-up Wonderful. blog as well. And how can people just follow along with what you do?
1: I would think that Instagram would be the perfect way to do it. That you're going to get tons of fun stuff on Instagram. That's a really nice place to be. If you're not on Instagram, inneru.coach is a website you can be on. I'm Lori Gerber underscore coach on Instagram. And I think that's enough ways. Less perfect. is more sometimes, as <laughs> we know. It's true.
0: Would you leave us with a sex or a dating tip? Something that you feel is um, maybe not an idea that's not shared enough, something that goes beyond, you know, the, the kind of cliches that we
1: so often hear. Yeah. I think remember, if you're in a relationship, I want to remind you to remember you picked the person. And we can so easily forget that. You picked that person. Go back. Go find that person who picked that person. And get into that feeling again because you were the author of that and you can be the author of anything that's coming next if you choose it. Mm. And you know what? I'm going to parlay that right over to the daters too. You have authored more impressive things. You have authored quitting smoking, beating cancer, getting the job of your dreams, finishing your screenplay. You have authored amazing things. You think you can't author finding someone like you to hook up with or stay with for the rest of your life you haven't done the work yet Mm. so decide you can
0: awesome you're so great Lori. thank you for joining me today and for all you're doing to help people live more full and love-filled pleasure-filled lives yes you're welcome and if you're enjoying girl boner radio please hit subscribe and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful girl boner embracing week Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.